Our scripture reading today is from Psalm. It's chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And if you're uh, looking at the Worship Center Bible, it's on page 448, halfway down the left column. All right. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. This is the word of the Lord. If you're new with us this morning, welcome. Great joy to welcome you today to Christ's community. And we're in the middle of just a very brief series in which we're sort of stepping back from a lot of activity and just looking in fresh ways at core values that that shape who we are as a community of people. Last week we were in Luke chapter 6. And we noticed that uh, Jesus uh, had, out of his intimate relationship with the Father, come down out of that place of prayer, and then chosen disciples to be with him. He formed a community. And then it says in the middle of that community, they stood together. And then there as a community of people, Jesus standing among his apostles, came a huge crowd of folks who were sick, who were wounded, who were bruised, who were in need, and they ministered to them. So there was intimacy, communion with God. There was community people being brought together around Christ. And then there was ministry to the multitudes. And it's that issue, ministry, the ministry of Jesus from his community among the multitudes of the world that we want to draw our attention to this morning. Early in 1732, two German young men in their mid-20s, first one was named Johann Dober and the other one was David Nitschmann, in a remarkable display of Christian service and love, turned to fellow believers with whom they were in community and said, there's a need in the world that needs to be met. There's ministry in the world that comes out of our community that has to go forward. The people that they had in mind ministering to were the slave populations in the West Indies. There were two islands in particular that they were concerned about because the, Af- the evil, horrendous African slave trade had brought thousands of people into this context, now slaves, and they were not permitted to hear the gospel preached to them. So they had applied to go and preach the gospel, but it, they were forbidden. No one can preach the gospel to these people. So what did uh, these two men do? They decided they would sell themselves into slavery so that they could become slaves and live among the slaves so they could preach the gospel to them. And that is what they did. Members of their community went down with them to the docks, saw those men now in chains, placed on a slave ship, ready for the West Indies. And as they went, they raised their hands, now in chains, and they cried out, May the lamb slain receive the reward of his labor. 
What could possibly inspire people to make such a sacrifice? But of course, we know, don't we? Because Paul tells us in Philippians that God himself, Christ, became a slave. Became obedient unto death, a slave's death. Death on a cross. In order that he might liberate us. Jesus, God, became one of us. He became a slave, died a slave's death, so that you and I, who were the slaves of sin, could be liberated. And so these men went. They were so successful, in fact, preaching that the owners of the slaves booted them out after a couple of years because they were making too many disciples. So they ended up sent back. But over the next 50 years, before any other missionaries could reach that part of the world, they had made over 13,000 disciples, baptized over 13,000 people as other members of their community went in their place and then served among the slave population. That was before any other missionaries got there. When you and I hear that example, when you and I see what they have done, we realize that we're part of a long story that's been going on for some time that involves Jesus extending the reach of his compassion and mercy and justice and love and grace into a hurting and broken, demonized world through the people that he loves. He did it through Paul, who, when he wrote Romans, introduced himself as Paul, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle. Jesus' followers have always thought of themselves as the bond slaves of Christ so that they might take his message to the entire world. And down through history, we've seen it happen, whether it's through Patrick or Columba or the great, great English apostle Boniface of Crediton who carried the gospel to the Frisian people in Europe, whose motto was, run to the roar. Where's the trouble? That's where I want to get to. The Irish monks who saved civilization, whether it was the Moravians, from whom these people who went to minister to the slaves had come, the Reformation-era Jesuits who carried the gospel all over the world, Hudson Taylor, William Carey, Lottie Moon, just had to get the Baptists in, uh, people like Catherine Booth, or the amazing David Livingston. If you go into Westminster Abbey, you'll see marked out an area where the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier is. And of course, you're not allowed to tread on that. Um, there's another grave you're not supposed to walk on. And that's the grave of the missionary David Livingston, who went from Britain down into Africa he was incredibly successful in bringing the gospel into southern Africa. And when he died, they buried his body in Westminster Abbey, but they buried his heart in Africa. His heart belonged to the nations. He was in receipt of a letter from a man who wanted to join him in his work and said, when you have roads, write to me so that I can join you. And Livingston wrote, wrote back and said, if you need roads, don't come. I need men who will come where there are no roads and create them. This is our heritage. What is it that has moved these people for so long to carry the gospel so far? And yet it remains true that we live in a world right now this morning that is more familiar with the name of Harry Potter than the name of Jesus. Now, I'm not dissing Harry Potter. I'm just saying it's an amazing and astonishing thing 
that more people would know that name, which cannot save, than the name above all names and the only name that can. What has moved people through the centuries? When I was growing up, baptized, catechized, confirmed in the Lutheran church, my pastor was an evangelical Lutheran, and he'd been a missionary in Africa. And he never stopped showing us slides of his 17 years as a missionary in Africa. And we're like, oh, no, here come the missionary slides again. Oh, my gosh. And I remember watching those going, I will. Here's one thing, Jesus. I love you. I will never be a missionary. Of course, by 19, I was living overseas. Because when you tell God never, watch out. So it's been my privilege to preach the gospel in over 27 different countries and all kinds of different populations and people groups and so on. And what gripped me, what got a hold of me, was a text from Psalm 2 that you heard read to you this morning. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. I heard a minister speak on that, and he noted that this is the father and the son having a conversation. We're let in on this secret conversation. And in this secret conversation, the Lord says, I'm going to tell you, all of you, I'm going to let you in on this, what the Father said to me. The Father said to me, you're my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, Father says to his son, to Jesus, ask me, and I will give you the nation's as your inheritance, I'll give you the ends of the earth as your possession. That is the promise of the Father to the Son. The inheritance of Jesus is all of the world. All nations, all peoples, every tongue and tribe and people under heaven gathered around the throne, giving him glory and giving him praise. It's not the need of man which moves us. It's the glory and majesty of Jesus that he would receive the inheritance that he died to make his own. May the lamb who was slain receive his reward. If all that moves you is the need of man, you will very soon suffer from compassion burnout because when you're just moved by the need of people, that sounds good until you meet the people who have the need. And then you go, ah, don't like you. I don't like them very much. But when you're moved by the glory of Jesus' inheritance, his desire to have these nations his own, then something happens down inside of you. And you realize that you're part of a people that are on a mission. An ingrown church is anachronistic. A church that's not on mission is a denial of its very existence. When you say the Nicene Creed, you say, I believe in the, in, in the church, but not just the church. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, which means you're not only tied to the apostles and tied to their their teaching, but you are a people that are on a mission. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. You've been sent into the world. Now see, if I'd had Brenton Temple come up this morning and say, let me introduce you to two of my favorite apostles. Some of you whose Presbyterian laces are tied pretty tight. Might have, might have looked at me a little like, what? Well, he's just called them apostles. What's he doing? But I didn't call them apostles, didn't I? I fooled you. I called, you. I called them what? I called them missionaries, and you didn't even blink. 
But missionary just comes from the Latin term missio, which is a translation of the Greek term apostolos, which turns out to be what? Yes, sent. Apostles. We are apostolic people. We are missionary people, every single one of us. We're part of this long line of people who have been brought to Christ in order to bring others to Christ. And this is not just an issue of eternal destination for souls. This is an issue of the arrival of the kingdom that transforms the whole world. When William Carey went to India, one of the common practices was sati, which was the burning alive of widows. When the husband died, his body was burned on a funeral pyre and they took his wife and they burned her along with him. It cut down on the murder rate of husbands, apparently. What a horrifying practice. William Carey, as a Christian preacher and missionary, so showed the love of Christ that even though the vast majority of people in India haven't converted to Christ, they saw the example of Christ and they changed those laws. In 1832, that was outlawed. That went away so that it didn't happen anymore. You see, Christians from the very beginning, far from burning widows, we were doing what? Taking care of the widows, taking care of the orphans. Rather than people being chucked out in the street, we were the ones who were starting the hospitals, starting the job centers, starting the education centers. We were doing that across the centuries. That's what the church, when it's been on its mission, has always been doing. So that not only are individuals transformed, but cultures are as well. You and I are called into this work. And so when you look at Psalm 2, when you examine what's going on here in this text, you can just do the brief exegetical work through the lyric of the song. You can look at the four stanzas, and you can center in then on this one issue. Here's the first stanza. Why do the nations, the peoples, rage and the peoples devise a vain thing? The rulers take counsel together. And they stand against the Lord and his Christ. Let us cast their cords far from us. Let us throw their fetters far from us. That's what the rage of the nations is. The rage of the nations is we don't want God to rule over us. That's the rage of the nations. We don't want the Lord. We don't want his anointed, which is another way of saying his Christ. We don't want God to rule over us. What's God's response to the rage of the nations? The second stanza is God's response. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He will hold them in derision. But then he will speak to them in his fury and terrify them in his anger and say, as for me, this is God saying, I have installed my king on Mount Zion, my holy hill. This is a coronation psalm. This is one of the songs that Israel sang when a king had the crown put on his head. And it was saying, the whole world is in chaos. All the nations are in an uproar. They hate God. They hate the Christ. But God has said, my king is established on Mount Zion. And these verses are quoted in the New Testament to say that when Jesus was raised from the dead, God seated him at his right hand and established him as Lord over all creation. This is why Jesus said at the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Now, when it says nations, we tend to think of geopolitical entities. We tend to think of lines on a map, like, oh, there's Kazakhstan, there's Zimbabwe. 
That's not what's in view. What's involved in the word nations, ethnos or goyim in Hebrew, it's people groups. It's not just political entities, it's people groups. And there are thousands of people groups, nations, in the world. Fully a third of them have never heard the name of Jesus. Another third of them do not have a single part of the Bible yet translated into their own language. You and I have multiple Bibles. We have endless versions of the Bible. When we want a new Bible, I mean, here we are in the you know, the epicenter of the evangelical industrial complex. And so we go to the local Christian bookstore and say, do we have the new cheerleader study Bible? Could I have the starting linebacker study Bible, please? We have, we have endless kinds of versions of the scripture. And the, there's whole parts of the world that not only have never heard the name of Jesus, they don't have a single word of scripture even in their own language yet. But Jesus is saying, I want the nation's as my inheritance. I want the ends of the earth as my possession. And this means the reign of the Lord is the outcome of God's response. As for me, I, will, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy hill. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you, which Paul says in Acts 13 is a reference to the resurrection. On the day of the resurrection... God says this to his son, ask me, ask me. I'm going to give the nations to you as your inheritance. All those people groups, I'm going to give them to you as your inheritance. This is your inheritance, son. The reach of Jesus' prayer stretched out from the Middle East, stretched out from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the remotest parts of the earth. And the result is the redemption of the nations because Psalm 2 ends with this. Blessed are all those who find refuge in the king. The rage of the nations turns into the salvation of the nations because Jesus Christ is king. This is Jesus' prayer. And it has been going on being answered across history. Christianity, unlike all other religions, is a global faith. While 95% of the Muslim world lives in a swath of territory that's pretty easily identified, stretching from North Africa across to the Indian subcontinent and down into Indonesia, and while the Hindu population and the Sikh population can be seen in a pretty distinctive part of the world, 26% of the Christian population is in Europe. 24% is in Latin America. 24% is in, is, is, is in Asia. 13%, only 13% is in North America. But after Christians and Muslims, the third biggest people group that's of some kind of religious orientation in the world, the third biggest one in the world today, get this, the unaffiliated. No, no known religion at all. It's the third biggest group in the world. And one of the things going on in the world today is that massive segments of the population are moving into city centers. Giant new cities are being formed as more and more people are dwelling there. Jesus' prayer to the Father is that these nations would become his inheritance. These people groups would be his. And he's promised us the power to get it done. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the remotest parts of the earth. 
There is no place that Christ will not extend the scepter of his kingdom. And he will do it through you in the power of the Holy Spirit. How does that happen? Well, the apostolic strategy, when you read in the book of Acts, was to go to cities. They went to these major metropolitan areas. A good example of this is Ephesus. You can read about it in the book of Acts. It says that Paul went to Ephesus and he set up a daily teaching center in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And it says as a result of that, which he did every day for a year and a half, all of Asia heard the word. In other words, what happened in that global city center affected an entire region. Have you noticed that what happens in cities ends up affecting the whole culture? Have you noticed that what happens in New York and L.A. suddenly finds itself in Williamson County? You know, cities are an important part of the mission to the apostles that they brought into the world. They brought the gospel of Jesus to these areas, and it was there in these embryonic ways that they not only preached the gospel, but they gathered the believers into communities called churches. And these churches planted other churches and affected the whole known world. One historian put it this way. When Paul began preaching the gospel, the Roman world was covered in crosses. When Augustine began preaching the gospel 300 years later, the Roman world was still covered in crosses. The difference was this. When Paul began preaching, there were people hanging on them. And when Augustine started preaching, those crosses were on the tops of buildings saying to everyone, here is a place of safety. It takes hundreds of years, friends. But when we give ourselves to the mission, then the world can be and will be changed. How do we know this? Because of Jesus' promise. I want the nations as my inheritance. The ends of the earth is my possession. Don't you believe that Jesus' prayer will be answered? This is the promise of the Father to the Son. Ask me. I'll give you the people groups of the world as your inheritance, and the ends of the earth as your possession. This is what moved Paul. When he writes the book of Romans, he says, I'm going to Spain, which is the furthest part of the world anybody at that time knew you could get to. And he said, I need your help to get there. And then he said, I want to go there because I want to preach the gospel where no one's ever heard about Jesus before. And here's my word. I got this word from Isaiah. Those who've had no news of him shall see, and those who have not heard will understand. And that got a hold of Paul. Those who've had no news of him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why you and I are called into this, to preach the gospel. And for those of you who are caught up in some kind of eschatological fantasy, where you're always trying to figure out who the Antichrist is and hopefully see the signs of when Jesus is coming back and hoping for the rapture by next Tuesday or at least before final exams, let me remind you that the scriptures say that this gospel must be preached in all nations as a sign and only then will the end come. There are seven billion people in the world And you and I are called to engage with them and to be in service. How do we respond to this? Well, let me give you a couple of things. First, we need to make disciples of the next generation in our culture right here. Let's talk about Williamson County. 10% of your county, 10% of the population of your county is now from Asia and the Latin American world. 10%. And it's growing. And so when I say Asia, I mean Chinese, Japanese, the Indian subcontinent. You didn't even have to go 
They came here. You don't have to go across the world. You just have to go across the street. But are you going to engage? Are we going to be active in this? And what about generations? The great British missionary to India, Leslie Newbigin, served over there for a generation, and then he came back to England and saw that it was deconverting. It had been de-evangelized. And he said, we have to start planting churches again. We have to reach the next generation. Would you look in your, if you look in your worship folder real quick this morning, you'll see an insert that's there that says, here are some ways that you can be involved in the next generation. We, we still need 45 more people to help out with children in our own church. And so when we talk about reaching the nations, we need to start with the, with the next generation. It's not just every nation that has to be reached, but every generation. Because Christianity is only ever one generation away from extinction. And so we start with those who are right here. What can you do with this? You can look at what the needs are on there. And you can put a, a check in the box where you could serve, you could help. When the offering comes around later, you can put that in the offering. Put that in the offering plate. Because when you do that, you're putting yourself in the offering my friends, I started off the sermon telling you about some people, some people that sold themselves into slavery. I'm just asking you to hold the hand of a child. Is that is that, that hard? I said, Pastor, you're being kind of guilt trippy. Oh, I'm, I'm just getting started. I'm just stretching. Here's the second thing. We've got to train and send disciples to make disciples of people all over the world. You know, a pastor said to me a couple of weeks ago, He said, can I ask you a question? He goes, have you ever had anybody in your church come up to you and go, you don't feed me well. I don't feel well fed. We're going to switch to another church. We don't feel well fed. Hey, you know, I said, well, yeah, okay, I get that. But he said, what would you say? (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, so, uh, 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 okay, you know, you got to pray harder for me, right? So um, I I just said, what are you talking about, well fed? Some some, Some Christians in some churches, they need to be reminded we're not here just to feed you. We're here to train you how to cook. We're here to teach you how to feed others. Many of you have more Bible knowledge and more theological knowledge than, 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 than many other Christian leaders in the world. I mean, I was sent to do a pastor's conference in Zimbabwe, a pastor's conference. I had this big sheaf of notes with me because I'm going to preach. I'm going to teach to 400 Zimbabwean pastors. I got my notes. I'm ready to go. I'm going to do this leadership training thing. And I met with one of the guys, the first guy I met with, and I said, can you tell me what you've been doing in the last year? And he said, well, we planted 12 churches. I said, what? You planted 12 churches. What did you do? He goes, well, we we showed the Jesus film. We showed the Jesus film, and then we give an invitation. And the people respond. And then we find the most mature man in the village, and we make him the pastor. These guys thought Deuteronomy was one of the 12 disciples. Okay, okay. That's the pa- and then I, so these are the pastors that I'm going to train. I looked at my notes and looked at them and went, yeah, yeah, right. I'll put those down. They were amazing men, full of the spirit, full of boldness, hungry. You know what bugs me? I'll just tell you something that bugs me. People go, you talked a little long today. I went to those people. Some of them walked for three days, and they wouldn't let me stop unless I talked for six hours. Then they would let me get some water before we started again. (laughs) Pastor, you're going a little long. Like I said, I'm just stretching. 